0: Hey, everybody, this is Joseph, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast. Each week, this show features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres, and we hope that they encourage you in your faith and work as you listen. This fall, we're preaching a 10 week series of sermons called When Religion Fails. And we're using Jesus' teachings and parables from the Gospel of Luke to reconsider what it means to truly follow Christ. Here's this week's sermon The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, In the fall of 2009, I began my coursework at Fuller Theological Seminary that would eventually lead me to receiving my PhD in theology. And I recall sitting in my very, very first doctoral seminar, a class that gathered twice a week for four hour sessions. I remember sitting with 12 of my fellow students around a long conference table at whose head sat Dr. Todd Eric Johnson, a professor who would become a mentor. A pastor and a friend to me here's a here's a picture of me and Todd in 2016 now if I really really tried I might be able to come up with a few things that I remember from the lectures in that particular seminar but what I really remember was what dr. Johnson said to us before any books were opened and any lectures delivered. I remember him looking around the table at we, his new students, and he smiled and he warmly welcomed us to the final degree program we will likely do as humans. I remember he invited us to consider what the next three to six years were going to be like for us. How we would go through periods of deep joy and happiness in our studies, but how we would also suffer deep personal lows when nothing at all made sense anymore, and the pressure to perform was too great, and we just want to quit. He told us about how most doctoral students feel isolated and lonely as they write their final dissertations, and many end up dealing with chronic depression and anxiety as a result. He told us that as we get closer to graduation, we might start to view our fellow students as the competition, the enemy. People vying for one of only a handful of jobs in our field and will stop being collegial and supportive of one another. He told us that life ahead is going to be seasonally abundant, but also seasonally scarce. But that no matter what, we need to remember that God has called us into this work and that our purpose is to bear witness to the kingdom of God in our writing, our study, our teaching, our relationships with our colleagues. He had us make promises to one another in that classroom that morning, promises that we would live out our baptisms in the way that we rejoiced with one another at new job appointments and published articles, in the way that we mourned with one another's loss of opportunities or promotions We were a cohort, we were a community, he said. And I remember him saying that he wasn't interested in teaching a bunch of solo performers who played cutthroat with one another to get ahead. And if we were gonna do that, we should find our way to a different mentor in a different program. But would we, his students, listen? Would we take to heart what Dr. Johnson was telling us. Could we see in his warnings the voice of wisdom and experience and would we have the humility enough to follow it? What I discovered on the other side of the degree was that those of us who did put it into practice found ourselves intact, our bodies and souls in relative health. We graduated with friends and colleagues in ministry to depend on and confide in and though it was hard we survived and even flourished but Those sitting around the table that day who did not listen to his advice, who instead went at it alone and without any self-care, who were already convinced of their own genius. They either washed out of the program entirely or they found themselves isolated and alone, codependent upon alcohol or toxic relationships to release the pressure in their life, and some even ended up taking teaching jobs telling another generation of students to do things the way they did. We've been preaching through a series here called When Religion Fails. We've been using the gospel readings each week to consider how the teachings of Jesus apply pressure to our conventional religious joints. How does what Jesus says challenge Our religious assumptions even now in 2022. We've seen how religion fails when it only knows how to fight against the world and doesn't wisely engage it for the sake of the gospel. We've seen how religion fails when it's more worried about religious obligation than having a personal encounter with God in worship. We've seen how religion fails when it forgets to pray earnestly and often, regardless of our circumstances. We've seen how religion fails when it knows only how to say I'm sorry to somebody, but takes no action to make tangible amends, and more. Following Jesus, listening to his word, obeying what it says is a dynamic, lifelong calling, one that demands weekly renewal and daily habits. It's a lifetime of wrestling and wondering, of exploring, of praying. It's filled with unsurpassable peace and hope, but it's also marked by seasons of scarcity and confusion. Yet our belief that Jesus is who he says he was, and that by his dying and rising, the whole world has been rescued, and that only in him do we find the capital T truth about God and ourselves, this belief demands from each of us lifetime of pursuit and action. When we trade that in for mere religious obligation, for attending a worship service once in a while and throwing a bit of cash in the plate, we close ourselves off to a deeper, richer, fuller life spent with others walking a road that leads to the kingdom of God. We become isolated We become isolated from our neighbors, from ourselves. We become codependent on many things that help us feel better about who we are. We lose our ability to see the deeper story told by our lives, including our own periods of suffering. When the good news of the gospel becomes merely something to say at church, when it stops being something that moves us to passionate action, then that is where religion fails. Today in our gospel reading, from Luke chapter six, we get to eavesdrop on Jesus' conference table. It's a different professor at the head of this table. It's a different set of students. Today in our reading, we back way up in the gospel from where we've been, 13 chapters earlier, to a time in Jesus' ministry when the disciples who had agreed to follow him were trying to figure out what exactly did they sign up for. What's the program? What can we expect being disciples of Jesus? And right at the outset of his ministry, Jesus is going to look around his conference table. He's going to smile warmly at the students gathered there. He's going to give them now a preview of what life is going to be like in the days and months and years ahead. Today's gospel reading begins with this. Jesus looked up at his disciples and said to them, Jesus looked up at his disciples. Jesus is speaking to whom? To his disciples. And everything that follows now in this section of blessings and woes and loving our enemies and doing to others the things we want done to us, every part of this speech is part of a discipleship training book Jesus is handing to his closest followers. This section... Is not necessarily instructions for the world to follow, but rather instructions to people who have already said yes to following Jesus. This isn't just supposed to be good advice for the average moral person, but rather this is a crucial plank in the Jesus agenda for the church. This is in-house teaching for Christians. This is what life will be like for those who follow Jesus, and this is what we ought to do no matter what. Here is what we need to watch out for. This is how we move through this world. It's how we engage it. It's how we love one another through it. And in saying this, we find here, in these words of Jesus, not a lesson on where religion fails, but rather a lesson on where religion gets it right. And since today is All Saints Day, Luke 6, 20 to 31 is essential reading in the discipleship training manual of Jesus if you want to know how to be a saint. Since today is the last Sunday before another election at a moment when we're told by the world to hate our political enemies and to expect the worst of people who post yard signs we disagree with, Today, we Christians come penitently to the words of Jesus here in Luke 6, where we learn what true discipleship looks like in moments of division and anger. And since today's liturgy includes the celebration of eight baptisms, it's a busy Sunday here at First Press, these verses from Luke 6 offer us some of the best advice a parent could bear in mind when raising their child in Christian faith for here we find concrete practices that embody a totally different way for us to move through this world than that of our neighbors and our co-workers. And since today's liturgy also includes the Lord's Supper, Luke 6 is where we find a reminder that at the very center of our faith is not our ability to be like Jesus or to get our life in order, but rather the fact that it was while we were still sinners, while we were trapped in selfishness and greed and isolation, Jesus came to rescue us, and he gave us this meal that we would be reconnected to this good news as often as we share it together. So in the brief time that's left to me today, I want to consider these words from Luke 6. And I want to do so as if Jesus has sat every one of us down at a conference table and is going to preview for you what life is going to be like for you as we follow Jesus together. This conference table talk uh, comes in three parts. It comes with comforts, it comes with cautions, and it comes with concrete actions. Don't you just love pastors? (laughs) It comes with comforts, it comes with cautions, it comes with concrete actions actions. Let's jump in. In, verse tw- in verses 20 to 23 of the reading, if you have your insert handy or your bulletin handy, you may want to glance in it or your pew Bibles open to Luke 6. In verse 20 to 23, Jesus is going to speak words of comfort to his disciples. Specifically, he's going to pronounce blessings upon them. He's going to pronounce blessings upon them in the times when their lives are without any Abundancy in their provision blessings when they are impoverished blessings when they are starving blessings when they are weeping in the darkness of grief Jesus is going to bless them for the times when everybody else can't stand them and they feel isolated and lied about Jesus comforts them with the reassurance that even there, even in that low place when everything in their life is in shambles around them, even there they are still known and loved by God. These seasons will end, Jesus says, whether in this life or in the kingdom that is yet to come. The story of poverty and suffering and hunger and grief is not the final story, Jesus says. God is telling a new story through Jesus, and it will end with tears wiped away, with a rich feast of abundant food, with being clothed in the festal garments of the kingdom of God. Whatever form suffering takes in our lifetime, it is not the final word in God's reckoning of time. So Jesus says, in effect, take comfort when you face scarcity of many kinds. Take comfort in the mercy. And the love of God that will eventually tell a better story than your depression, your grief, your poverty, your anxiety, your fear. Jesus opens this conference room talk with words of comfort to disciples who are suffering. He continues in verses 24 to 26 with words of caution. Sometimes your life as a disciple of Jesus is going to be awful and hard. Other times it might be good and even easy. Material possessions may be yours in abundance. Your pantries will be stocked with food. Your refrigerators won't be empty. You'll go to bed laughing for the joy and the gladness of your life. And people will say really, really, really nice things about you. When things are going that well, Jesus says, watch out and the word he uses is "woe," like "woe to you but it's really a word of caution it's a word of warning it's the word that is the equivalent of what you would do when someone is getting too close to the edge of a cliff and you grab them and pull them back watch out you'd say watch out jesus says when things are going well for you Watch out that you don't become complacent in your abundance. Watch out that you don't see a fridge full of food and you stop working to feed the hungry. Watch out that the joy in your life will cause you to find will st- will cause you to stop finding ways to support those who are grieving. In both of these comforts and these cautions, Jesus is speaking to all of his disciples as if to remind them down the road, the pews in their communities of faith are going to be filled with people on either end of these extremes, some with abundance and joy, but others with isolation and need and grief. To those who suffer, Jesus promises they'll find relief, Jesus promises that the plight of the poor, the starving, the oppressed, is a plight that is known to God, and that in God's kingdom they will finally find all that this world has deprived them of. But to those with resources, Jesus says, watch out that you don't give thanks for your own abundance without helping to meet the needs of those around you. Watch out, because the neighbor down the pew from you today might be struggling with the very things you have in abundance. As we move through these comforts and cautions, Jesus concludes today's lesson on discipleship, his conference table talk in verse 27 to 31. Here, Jesus gives to us concrete actions, specific practices and habits that anybody who follows Jesus is expected to exhibit in their daily life. Jesus starts right out in verse 27 by saying, but I say to those that listen, Jesus is talking to the people who are still paying attention. He's talking to the people who have heard the comforts, have heard the cautions, and who are still eagerly leaning forward to hear what else he might say. He's speaking to people who are serious about this whole Jesus thing, who are serious about following after Christ, the ones who are interested in making their life more of a reflection of our Lord. Jesus says, listen up, this part is for you. On the other hand... If we're just here to scratch our religious itch or to satisfy some civic obligation, then these words might not be for us. If we just want Christian faith to fit, it, fit into whatever political mold we've already deemed right, and we might not be interested in hearing what Jesus is actually saying about what day-to-day living looks like in his way. Jesus says, well, this part might not be for you, but if you are listening still, then listen this Is how we ought to be shaping our life, whether it is filled up full or whether our pantries are empty. Here is how disciples of Jesus should live. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's it. That's the sole imperative. Love your enemies. And everything that follows this is going to break that down even more. How do we do that? How do we love our enemies? Verse 27, we do good to those who hate us. Verse 28, we bless those who curse us. We pray for those who injure us. Verse 29, we don't respond to violence with violence. We don't respond to insult with insult. Verse 30, if somebody begs us for money, we give it. If somebody tells us a lie and we end up losing the money we give them, we should not try to get it back. And verse 31, in all matters, we should act towards our neighbors in the way we would want them to act towards us. These are verses to fold up in our wallets or purses and take with us to the ballot box this week. It might cause us to stop vilifying and demonizing the people in our life who disagree with our politics. Bless them. Do good to them instead. Rake their leaves, church. Mow their lawns. Shovel their snow. Don't respond to violent outbursts with more violent outbursts. Don't respond to insults with more insults. End the cycle, Jesus says. Break the chain. Church, love your enemies. These are verses to take with us and post in our car dashboard this week. Give to everyone who begs from us. Do to others as we would have them do to us. Ask ourselves, what would it look like if we actually did that this week? If we put ourselves in the position of giving to people who need us to do something. And if we responded not with excuses or moral self-righteousness, but rather with joyful generosity. These are verses to take and post in our children's bedrooms so they see them as they grow up, as they head to school, as they interact with their friends. What would it look like for us to raise up a generation of children who meet violence and bullying with radical acts of kindness and compassion? What would it be like for the children we baptize here to be raised in homes where love for our enemies and merciful generosity to the poor are exhibited and demonstrated every, as often as possible. Church, if you're here today and if your life is scraping the bottom of the proverbial barrel, if your life feels like you are constantly running on fumes and all you have is a handful of coins to put a little gas in your tank this week, if you've been beat down by circumstance and left alone in your life and you're curious to know, does God care? Jesus says the kingdom of God is yours. You are in the hands of a merciful Savior, a loving Lord. You belong to God now and forever. Amen. If you're here today, church, and you have more than you need to survive, if your bank accounts are topped off and more than adequate, take a moment to pause and consider, how am I stepping into the plight of the poor and the cause of the needy? Am I doing what I can to bring mercy and love and grace in God's name to somebody else? Jesus warns us to watch out. But no matter who you are no matter where you've been no matter what you're dragging with you to this table today no matter what awaits you outside these walls jesus calls to anyone who will listen and says love your enemies do to others as you would have them do to you this is what it means for us to follow jesus it may not be easy But this is the road that leads farther up and further in. A road that leads to true human flourishing and an abiding sense of peace. It's the road that leads to God. And on that road go the innumerable host of the saints of God, each of whom took Jesus at his word and lived out their faith no matter the circumstance. Church, I want to be counted in their number. I hope you do also. Amen. thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.